take our Bibles this and uh, I'm going to start off today looking at Mark chapter 12. And um, <clears throat> I do want to mention to you that from time to time, we want to, uh, I have, have to slip off uh, from the regular preaching of going verse by verse in books like in Second Peter that I'm in now and Dave in Ecclesiastes and deal with the topic. And uh, especially in light of this Tuesday, this Tuesday is an important Tuesday in our country. So I want to look at today really three principles with regard to the Christian and government and then some observations of discernment when choosing a candidate. And uh, believe me, it is my most uncomfortable subject, but I think it is needed uh, from time to time. So um, let me have a word of prayer, and then we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 12. Let's pray. Father, this morning we do thank you for your kindness to us and your love to us and your mercy that you have extended to us, not only as your people, but as a country. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to, uh, as I know you will, watch over your church. Uh, we know that the gates of hell still want to kick against it. And it will stand, Lord, no matter what. But I pray you would also be with our country. Lord, give us, uh, give us mercy uh, in this election. And have your way uh, this time around. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, before I go any further, I do want to mention that uh, we had another family have a baby girl. Ella Joy was born to Noel and Joe Riccardi on 10-27 Eight pounds, six ounces, 21 inches. Amen? Another baby in the world, and that is uh, always a great blessing. It, feels, it's, it seems like every month I'm announcing uh, someone is having a baby, and that's a good thing. All right, let's look at it. Mark chapter 12, verse 13 or through 17, and it says this. Then they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement. They came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at him. Now there are multifaceted feelings that are expressed when the topic of politics and government come up. Some are, are, uh, some are ambivalent, some discuss it, some apathetic, and others are downright hostile. People think politicians are unjust, taxes are too high, and money misused. They see political leaders as dishonest, corrupt, immoral, and power-hungry. Now, some have wiped their hands clean of the whole political process, and Christians have concluded 
that our allegiance is to God, not man. So they say, I'm not going to be concerned, nor am I going to get involved. Well, let me say that this passage of Scripture, Jesus upset the apple cart on this matter. Jesus gave a masterly reply which amazed his opponents. And he stopped the delegation in their tracks. That Jesus, with a very innocent question, entraps the delegation and exposes their hypocrisy and their Satan-like craftiness. If you take a glance with me again at verse 16, it says, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. So we're talking about Caesar's image and God's image in the same passage. So in verse 17, Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. That this emperor's coinage, that's his, give it Give him the obligation, do him, and you being created in the image of God, then give God his obligation, the obligation that is due him. So Jesus, in other words, places the two obligations side by side. There is no clash between them. They actually harmonize. Paying Roman taxes was not in conflict to a person's obligation to God. In the providences of God, the Jews are the emperor's subjects under the legitimacy of human government. The delegation respond to Jesus' answer with amazement, and they were amazed at him. They didn't figure on that response. So they marveled at Jesus' answer. However, they could not use Jesus' answer against him for their diabolical purposes, so they were, in other words, rendered silent. Now that means for us that all true human governments are legitimate. We all have a responsibility to obey, as long as they do not violate God's laws. We must give God what is rightfully his, and we must give Caesar or government what is rightfully theirs. So I want you to contemplate with me at least three principles of human, uh, of just responding to government. And the first principle is this. Human governments are ordained by God. God has put in place three institutions, which he has ordained for the good of mankind. He has put in place the home, He has put in place the institution of human government, and he has put in place the local church. And to understand this, there are some guidelines that are paramount that go behind that. And the first one is this, that God is sovereign over all things. Daniel tells us that he removes kings and he establishes kings. He is sovereign over all all governments, and even military powers. And though military powers can be powerful, and many people tend to trust in them alone, there's warnings in scriptures where in Psalm 20, in verse 7 and 8, it says, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So God's people 
ultimately must trust in a God who is sovereign over all things. Also, there's a guideline that God gives authority on earth. This same truth is repeated in Proverbs 8, verse 15 and 16, where it says, By me, kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles all who judge rightly. And if God did not give authority, governments would possess no authority. As we read in Romans 13, the most unjust and wicked rulers in the world have no power but what is given them from above. Even when Pilate was talking to Jesus and said to them, I have the power to either crucify you, send you to punishment, or set you free. And Jesus answered Pilate and he says, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. So political and religious rulers are responsible to God for how they rule. They may not acknowledge that. They may not even care about that. But it doesn't change the fact, scripturally, that they are responsible to God. They will give an answer of how they ruled. God also gave society the right to enforce laws in order to prevent chaos and maintain peace while promoting the free flow of protection of the rights of its citizens by the use of security forces, by the use of police and military, and by the use of the judicial system. And even to make use of capital punishment to punish evildoers when necessary, as Romans and 1 Peter tells us, for to governors, as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and of course the praise of those who do what is right. So the first observation of discernment when choosing a candidate for president should be, first of all, to vote this election for the candidate that believes government is a servant to the people and not the people's master. And it seems like it's heading to the second place. A second principle would be this, that no person can accept all the benefits which human government gives them and then opt out of all the responsibilities of citizenship. When Christians have at least four responsibilities to government, and we saw those uh, principles or those responsibilities right in Romans chapter 13, which was read. So all citizens are to seek the good of their country and do nothing or join in nothing that tends to disturb that peace. We ought to be respectful, law-abiding citizens which have the right attitude towards those who would be in leadership over us. Now, what are some questions to that? Why are we to respect government? Well, because of Romans chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, where it says every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, 
and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. And how are we to respect government? Civil authorities act on God's behalf to maintain order, to uphold justice, to punish wrongdoing, to resist the practice of, Israel, of, of evil, as it says in Romans 13, verse 4 and 5. It says, for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God and a venture who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to, to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. So that is the first responsibility that we have to government. The second one would be that we shall do everything in our power to promote the welfare by being prayerful citizens. Christians are to be a praying people. In fact, every Wednesday on Zoom in our church, for those who are logging in and praying with others, we pray every single week for our governmental leaders. And why do we do that? Because the Bible says to do that. It says for, really, we are to pray for the world of mankind in general, but specifically are commanded to pray for rulers and those in authority. Well, First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 3 says that. It says, first of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers Petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority. And why do we do that? Here's the reason. Scripture gives us the reason. So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. And that's what we all want. We all want to live a life a quiet life, a peaceable life, don't we? And then we are to do that as Christians to grow in godliness, not to use that time just on ourselves, but to grow in the Lord. So when Paul wrote these words, the kings were heathens, enemies of Christianity, persecutors of Christians, dictators that wanted to dominate people, put heavy taxes upon them, and then also we are told in Scripture to pray for them. So our leaders are not going to be holy men or always just men, but we are to pray that they become that. So we are to pray that our leaders should become just so they rule over men righteously. We also should pray that they come to fear God and realize the weight of that position is not given to them for nothing, but they are responsible before God. We should pray that they ultimately would be converted, that there would be enough people that write into them, surround them, challenge them, that they, there is a greater authority, a sovereign God, and that God has sent Christ Jesus into the world to save sinners and that they would come and believe in Christ. And then we should also pray that our governmental leaders would definitely punish evildoers. As it says again in Romans 
13, verse 4, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. And then ultimately, too, that they would praise those who actually do good, and tells us that in 1 Peter, and praise those who do right. We need, we need good examples before us of people who are actually doing what is right, and even governmental leaders who will uh, ultimately do what is right. Now, let's just say uh, that a state govern, governor came up with the Law Enforcement Protection Act. And in that act, they put that act in place so it would stop the rioting that is going on in many U.S. citizens. And the act would read like this. Arrested during a riot, stay in jail until you stand before a judge. Participate in a riot, forfeit state benefits and employment. Strike a cop, mandatory six months minimum. Violent assembly, that's a felony. Block a roadway, that's a felony. Participate in a riot from out of state, that will be an enhanced sentence. And then any local government under that governor that refuses to provide adequate protection for its citizens will forfeit sovereign immunity protection, allowing citizens to sue that local government for compensation. And then a last thing, that any municipality that defunds the police will will be defunded of future grants and aids. Now, if that was put out by our governor or any governor, would you be behind that? Would you say, yes, that's what I've been thinking? Well, the only one that I know who has put out an act like that is Governor Ron DeSantis from Florida. And I have not known or I do not know of any rioting that's been going on in their state because he was willing to take the sword and the power that he has as a governor to protect the people. That is what is saying in the scripture. There's another responsibility we have as people of the United States and of people of any country would be to pay taxes. Now, taxes are never enjoyable. If a person enjoys paying taxes, they need to have their head examined. Some have liking paying taxes as to going to a dentist for a root canal. And you have heard the saying, two things are certain in human existence, death and taxes, and people will do anything they can to avoid both. Now, it might be added that if tax reforms or other kinds of reforms are necessary for the public welfare, then Christians should exert every influence they have to affect those changes. Again, what does Romans 13, verse 6 and 7 say? For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing, rendered to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. The Roman government of Paul's day deified Nero as the emperor. They ran a welfare state. 
They sponsored many pagan practices. Rome certainly did not use its tax money as Christians would desire. Today, it's the same. Government uses tax money on things we hope and pray they would not. Like government giveaway programs, the whole program of welfare was proven not to work. It just makes people lazy and bad citizens. Or a taxpayer-funded abortion program. We all know that the federal government is extraordinarily wasteful and extraordinarily inefficient. And it often creates far more problems than it solves. So a second observation of discernment when choosing a presidential candidate would be this. Vote this election for a candidate that tells you that he or she is going to cut taxes and regulate government spending. What we need is really drastic cuts in taxes and also drastic cuts in government spending in order to release the power of the private sector that can produce productive jobs and increase productivity in our country. Simply put, people are gainfully employed. And of course, that brings me to a fourth responsibility under this second principle in that we should vote, yet realizing God has already determined the outcome. People across the United States have already started to vote by mailing or dropping off sealed ballots on or by Tuesday, November 3rd, 2020, millions of Americans will or would have already cast their votes. Make sure you're one of them. This is one of the greatest privileges of being a citizen of the United States of America. The 30th president of our country, Calvin Coolidge, said, the whole system of American government rest on the ballot box. Unless citizens perform their duties, such a system of government is doomed to fail. Voting, not only is it a privilege as an American citizen, but it is our responsibility as Christians. So a third observation of discernment would be this. Vote this election for the lesser of two evils. In other words, which candidate can you discern to be more righteous, to make more righteous decisions based on what is right? Just like it says in Proverbs 29.2, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the, a wicked man rules, the people groan. And I'm sure that you've already done that in some way. When you see something drastically wrong and politicians doing the wrong thing, it groans. It causes your spirit to groan. This election probably has caused more anxiety in our country than any other thing. When it comes to moral judicial decisions relating to unborn infants, sexual values, family values, and religious freedom, 
Who is the most truthful? Who is the most honest? And remember, we are not voting for a pastor or a holy man. We are voting for a president who is flawed, and some may have many flaws. But we have to focus in on the issues of things. What's going to affect us most as citizens of our country? No, with grateful and humble hearts, Americans once honored the God who granted her blessing and freedoms, but slowly, almost unnoticeably, she began to be infiltrated by secular humanism. Her institutions, the courts that once legislated against immorality began to grant freedom to every person to do which is right in their own eyes, just like judges. Lines of right and wrong are blurred, completely blurred today. In time, all sorts of ungodly behavior became acceptable, even admired. Americans no longer were shocked when outlandish things took place on a public level. See, when God fades from a nation's conscience, one can justify about anything. Just about anything. God said, thou shalt not kill in the commandments. Thou shalt not murder in the commandments. Americans gave murder a new name, abortion. 68 million have been murdered since Roe versus Wade. The IRS has made abortion clinics charitable organizations and therefore exempt from taxes. I don't know if they backed off on that a little bit since then. Also, God calls it the sin of sodomy. The new name is homosexuality. Gay rights, alternate lifestyles, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual, queer, and the alphabet of all the perversions that goes on and on and on. God also calls sexual sin perversion an abomination before him. Americans call pornography harmless adult entertainment. Some results have been polluted minds, broken marriages, incest, child abuse, and the depraved sin list of sins goes on. A study uh, conducted some years ago by the Michigan State Police using the computer to classify 35,000 sex crimes in that state over a period of 20 years found that 43% were pornography-related. Since pornography infected America with its fatal disease, it is now a strong multi-billion dollar industry that has also spilled over and tarnished the movie industry, the social media industry, and can anyone deny that the movies are dirtier and more perverted than ever? That the internet 
has been made into a pornographic superhighway. We have come a long way from Leave it to Beaver and Andy Griffith Show and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Also, the sin of drunkenness. In its continuous practice, bars one from entry into the kingdom of God. Americans call alcoholism a social disease. We now have a large part of our nation which are addicted to alcohol and also addicted to both illegal and prescription drugs. Now, I wanted to stress this one in particular because this voting cycle, U.S. citizens are asked to vote yes or no on the legalization of marijuana in New Jersey. I don't know if you opened your ballot yet or if you voted yet, but it could be a little bit shocking. When I was growing up, we called it dope for good reason. Because it made you dopey. That's what we need. More citizens intoxicated and stoned on pot. And it's well confirmed that marijuana is an entry drug into all other kinds of drugs. Now, I also want to bring to your attention an experiment that actually happened in the United States. In the state of Pueblo, Colorado, or in the state of Colorado, the city of Pueblo. They turned, because they lost industry in that time, they turned to a cannabis industry. Some have called it a boom industry, and others said that it actually is a failed experiment, according to Epic Times, a newspaper that came out, a conservative newspaper. See, the cannabis boom in Pueblo is real and sustainable, one said, but others have said that it is a failure. So far, 11 states have legalized retail marijuana and four others, New Jersey, Arizona, Montana, and South Dakota, are considering it on this ballot. Now, marijuana is still an illegal Class one drug according to federal law. But what happens is that they also interviewed people who worked in the ER, in the emergency rooms, in the hospitals in this town. And they had a completely different story as to the success of this particular experiment. They said that it causes the use of cannabis, causes delirious effects upon people, In fact, they said it's like a horror movie. That people were coming into the uh, emergency room screaming and vomiting uncontrollably. And the reason why? It was caused by chronic cannabis use. Usually high potencies of of high potent product uh, that people would be smoking or taking in some way. uh, And they said that all you have to do is stop it and it goes away. That also led to cannabis psychosis. And they said, here's the worst thing of anything, because they become violent at this point, 
the combination of high-potency THC, which is the active ingredient in marijuana, creates an incredibly violent person. In 1990, 4%, the potency of uh, THC in marijuana was 4%. Today, in 2020, it's 80%. So the marijuana people smoked back then is completely different than what's going on today. And it's leading to a society that is being deadened and weakened. And a society that is infiltrated by pornography and by lawlessness and by drunkenness and by drug abuse is an easy society that's susceptible to be controlled by the politicians and those who are in power. America once legislated against those things that God said to be wrong, but gradually we began to tolerate it, then accept it, then condone openly and even promote that which is unthinkable. When a nation no longer acknowledges the creator and the laws he has given to regulate society, there's only one thing left. Romans chapter 1. God's judgment. And what does it say in Romans? God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. Why did he give them over? He gave them over to the impurity to degrading passions to homosexuality and he, why did he give them over to all those things in Romans chapter 1 because in Romans 1 28 it says and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer that's the problem God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not prosperous proper being filled with unrighteousness and wickedness and greed and full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice they are gossip slanderers hater of god insolent arrogant boastful unloving unmerciful and although they know the ordinance of god that those who practice such things are worthy of death they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Yes. I bring up Roe versus Wade for a reason. In his book by Mike Huckabee, he said there are three C's that made America great. Christianity, capitalism, and the Constitution. Roe versus Wade is the crown jewel of leftist liberals that make up the modern Democratic Party, which got Roe versus Wade passed via the Supreme Court legalizing abortion in every state of the United States. The only problem is Congress, which is the lawmaking body of America, never got to debate the issue. Also, the Supreme Court 
became the lawmaker on this issue. That is not their job. Their job is to determine if the laws sent up to them by the legislative branch of government, their job is to determine whether those laws are constitutional or not. I believe that if the Supreme Court simply done its job with Roe versus Wade by simply and honestly interpreting the Constitution as written, I believe they would have concluded that legalizing abortion, the killing of babies, would be unconstitutional. This is what the 14th... They actually ignored the 14th Amendment, and the 14th Amendment actually says this, that all peoples born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. So shall any, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, of liberty, of property, without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Now, if, if you never, you have not heard recently, actually as recent as 2019, the issue came up as to if a baby comes to full term, that that, the legislation was that the baby would, that should have been aborted but didn't, wasn't aborted, was not to receive medical attention but was to be left to die. The atrocity was matched by Governor Ralph Northam of Virginia during an appearance on a talk, talk show when he spoke about a similar proposed bill in Virginia in response to a question about a possible scenario where a baby would be born alive as a result of a botched abortion, the governor calmly said this, and I quote, if a mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly what would happen. The infant would be delivered. The infant would be kept comfortable. The infant would be resuscitated if that's what the mother and the family desired, and then a discussion would ensue between the physician and the mother. So I think this was really blown out of proportion. That was the end of that statement there, where here is a governor himself, a medical doctor, going against even the Hippocratic oath he took when he became a doctor, and that oath can oath contains the following words, I will apply all measure for the benefit of the sick according to my ability and judgment. I will keep them from harm and injustice. It does not appear the baby accidentally born will be safe from harm or injustice if Governor Northrum gets his way. Now, the controversy even got worse when the U.S. Senate proposed a bill to protect 
those babies, and it was placed on the floor for a vote, and there were 44 Democratic senators who voted against the bill. That's unbelievable. 44 senators believe it is proper to allow a live-born baby to die for the sole reason that it was supposed to be aborted? It says in this Amendment 14, it says all persons born. It does not state any circumstances of the birthing process that creates an exemption. These babies, whom 44 senators and other liberals wanted to terminate, are legal citizens of the United States. Not only are they created in the image of God. So to take the life of an American citizen without due process is unconstitutional and, in this case, unjustified killing. Now, why do I say all that? I say it for this reason. In the fourth observation of discernment when choosing a president, you have to vote this election for the candidate who will appoint Supreme Court justices who are honest, just, who will advocate moral standards while upholding and properly interpreting the Constitution of the United States. Now, have you already heard just recently Amy Coney Barrett was sworn in as a new Supreme Court justice who put her hand on the Bible and promised that she would uphold the Constitution of the United States and she emphasized as it is written because that is the job of the Supreme Court. She is also a constitutionalist, which make many... Uh, especially liberal-minded people, very unsettled. It was Noah Webster who clearly wrote this, the moral principles and precepts contained in the scriptures ought to form the basis of all our civil constitutions and laws. All the miseries and evils which men suffer from vice and crime and ambition and injustice and oppression and slavery and war proceed from their despising or neglecting the precepts contained in the Word of God, in the Bible. That is true. When we move away from the fabric of what the Ten Commandments did in our country, we have moved far away from that, removing the commandments, removing God from everything, and even the thought of God, not even acknowledging God, then anything could happen. And I realize anything could happen in this election. So a third principle would be this, that government has its proper limits, boundaries and demands, and must remain there. All belong to God. God is sovereign over human affairs, including political affairs. There are duties of governments that do not infringe on ultimate duties to God. 
as long as our responsibility to government does not interfere with our ability to honor, worship, and serve God Almighty, then that would work fine, and that would be the principle from the text that I started with, that we render to Caesar that which is Caesar's and to God that which is God. They don't, they're together. They don't separate. Christians ought to be involved in some, to some extent in politics so that you can influence by way of righteousness. The legitimate purpose of government since the founding of America has been to protect the lives, the liberty, and the property of its citizens. The history of liberty, according to Woodrow Wilson, is a history of limitation of governmental power, not the increase of it. Concentration of power is what always precedes the destruction of human liberties. So our country today is on a slippery slope of those who want to entangle us more and more in the failed experiment of socialism. What is socialism? It is either that the government owns the means of production or controls the means of distribution. Simply put, the government takes from you and maybe, maybe gives it to someone else who needs it more. See, the, govern, the government in that scenario must have the power because the government is God. The government will be the provider for the needs of people, so then the people's allegiance will be to the government and not to God. And the end of socialism takes away a person's initiative, their creative ability, their independence, and for lack of a better word, makes them a slave. If this happens, and it is happening already, it will move our country more and more into despotism, socialistic anarchy and economic ruin. So this fifth and last observation of the sermon while when choosing a president is this. Vote this election for the candidate who will make policies that will shrink government and restrain its power over its citizens. Vote for the candidates who will be able to negotiate deals from benevolent strength. Vote for the candidate that will keep our military strong and will keep our borders secure. Now, what if the government tells us to do something immoral or anti-biblical or if the government tells us not to do what God said we should do? So then, there are limits to our obedience. A good example in Scripture is found in Acts chapter 4 and 5. The Roman authorities were trying to get the Apostle Peter to stop speaking publicly about Christ. Peter and John told the authorities that if it came down to whether they would obey God or man, they would obey God. 
And it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 19 and 20, but Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to heed you rather than to heed God, you be the judge of that. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And then Peter and the apostles answered in verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. So if the civil powers command something that God forbids or forbids something that God commands, we must disobey. If the time comes that we must disobey, then we must do it as respectfully as possible. We must use every legal channel of expressing our protest. If we resort to anarchy to promote our cause, no matter how noble, we are violating the principle of submission to authorities. Really, violence and vandalism and other destructive acts are to be avoided by Christians. The, the big curveball uh, in our political system, in the Constitution, is the Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms. Uh, there's a lot of discussion on why that is there. I'm not going to mention that right now. But if you go even to Scripture, there are biblical examples of people who resisted evil government policies. You just think about the midwives in Egypt. They refused to murder the newborn Hebrew boys and said no to Pharaoh. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to participate when the king ordered all citizens to become idolaters. They refused. They said, if God wants to save us, he'll save us. If he doesn't want to save us, he won't save us. It's up to him, but we're not going to listen to you. That's disobedience, but it was right. Even John the baptizer spoke out against the immoral lives of King Herod and his wife even though he faced imprisonment and was put in prison for that very reason and then finally had his head cut off. Willing to stand up again against unrighteousness and injustice and even immorality, even if it was his life. It was Daniel Webster, the one who wrote Daniel Webster's dictionary, who said whatever make men good citizens, make them, whatever make men good Christians makes them good citizens. So, as individuals, we can be part of the political process. In politics, we must fight for the candidates that come the closest to the ideals that we hold while recognizing that no one may agree with us on every single issue. So our priority as Christians is still the gospel. That is always our priority. We can never move away from that. No matter what goes on in the world or the government, we must still preach the gospel. And our message must be clear. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior or judgment is inevitable. Our identity and priorities and mission are not defined by our citizenship on earth, but it is defined by our citizenship in heaven, where 
our Savior awaits. And we live for him while here. So while we remain here on earth, we are called to be the salt of the earth. We are called to be the light of the world. So I say this this morning, that you would be a good citizen and go out and vote. Um, And with these principles and observations, I think that you will do the right thing. Because our country is really in a a very difficult place right now. And uh, it can go either way. Uh, It's not going to change God's plan whatever way it goes. Uh, God's still on the throne. He's still sovereign. His work and church is still going to go on. But our lives may drastically change in the coming years if uh, certain mindsets get into our government and uh, we move to a one-party system where there's no longer a two-party system and then one party gets all the power and that's it, it's gone when that happens. I pray that wouldn't happen. So continue to pray. uh, Continue to exercise uh, the rights you have as a, a person and remember the principle, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's and to God that which is God's. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, you are in heaven whose name is to be hallowed. And, And Father, you intrigue us by your work of creation and the history of providence. You are the sovereign Lord who comes with power and authority. There's no one who can go up against you. We are in awe of your goodness, of your love, of your majesty. You have measured out the waters in the hollow of your hands. And with your hand marked out the expanse of the heavens. Your thoughts and ways are beyond our ability to completely understand. To you, the nations and those who rule them are like a drop in a bucket and dust on a scale. You are Lord of every ruler, king, prime minister, and president. The United States of America and her president belong to you for all that you are and all that you have done. We give you praise and adoration. And I just pray, Lord, that you would give our country mercy. That's what I pray. Let your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. And I pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, this morning...